All right, let's get started with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are sovereign and we can rest in that because we know that you are good and that you desire our good. I pray as we look at this topic um, of our thoughts that you would um, speak speak to us through your word that um, my delivery would get lost in the background of what you're trying to say to us. pray these things in your name, amen. So... The last few weeks, we've been looking at David, Jonah, Moses, Esther, and how they handled anxiety um, and gleaned some good lessons from those. And now we're going to pivot and get practical how we can apply these lessons to our own lives. So we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. That's why you all have two verses. Can I, do you mind if I give you two? Um, Because I want you to see that these aren't my ideas. This is from God's word. Um, We're going to talk through God's prescription for handling anxiety. So over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at, today it'll be thought life, next week it'll be prayer. They're pretty intertwined, but for the sake of time, we're going to look at them separately. Um, So by the end of this class, you should have some tools in your tool belt to help you with when anxiety strikes. Um, And it's a a possibility that you have a medical condition that might contribute to your temptation toward anxiety. Um, But I'd encourage you not to dismiss this process, but recognize that God's always working through our circumstances, through sickness, through whatever he brings into our lives to teach us to grow in dependence on him. Um, God made our bodies and he knows far more about them than doctors. So when we first started this class, I shared a little bit of my story about um, my journey with anxiety at our last church and how a woman um, kind of became territorial and affected any future relationships there. Um, And I met with a biblical counselor after that to work through that hurt so that I wasn't carrying around the baggage from that. And when we moved here, I felt like I was in a much healthier place. But um, one night we had friends over and... Um, my phone rang. I don't know why I answered it. I don't ever answer the phone when we have people over, but I did. And um, it was another friend, and she, um, I'm sure she could hear voices in the background, and she asked if um, we had people over. And I, all of a sudden, my brain was filled with all of this baggage, things that had happened. It was real stuff. It wasn't just I was imagining something that could happen. And... Um, my anxiety kicked into high gear, and I was like, what if she's territorial, too? She's not. But um, So in a split second, I made a decision to listen to my anxious thoughts rather than walking in faithfulness to the Lord. And I lied. The minute I, it was out of my mouth, I knew it was wrong, obviously. <laughs> and I hung up the phone feeling defeated and didn't sleep a wink. Because the Holy Spirit was working on me, and I knew it was wrong, and I knew I had to make it right. So the next day I called and apologized and asked her forgiveness and made it right. So did this? Did I make the logical decision in how I responded to that question? Mm-hmm. Logical, but not biblical. Right. Yes. yes. So where did I go wrong? 
should have thought of God's response and how God would have, um, Jesus would have walked you through that. Right. We, we can't control other people's responses. And me being truthful, even if that's hard for someone else, as long as I'm not like saying it in a way to hurt them, that's honoring to the Lord. Um, and I, what was my incorrect belief? I mean, there could be multiples, but what, what could my incorrect belief of God been here? Mm-hmm. That he's not able to contain the, how this is going to spiral out of control and lead you into that same situation. Yeah. And you had to take control. I mean, you were. That's how I felt. Right. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's how, yeah. Right. I think I was questioning God's goodness in my life in what he allowed. He'd allowed this not great circumstance to happen to me in the past. He could allow it again. I didn't like that. And so I thought, if I take control, it won't go like that. (laughs) Instead, I make a bigger mess. Yeah. Right. It's very quick. Yeah. Yes. Yes. For sure. So we're going to look at some verses. Um, a handful. Do you guys mind if I give you some verses to look at? But at the same time, those things happen to us. Oh, for sure. I mean, Peter. That split second, mm-hmm. he denied. But where did that get him? Right. In his story, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have been the same Peter. Right. God uses our sinfulness for His good, ultimately. Yes. Right. Yeah. Who has Proverbs four twenty three? And then we're gonna go on. And then we're going to do Proverbs 27:19 after that, Matthew 12:34 after that, Matthew 15:17 to 19 after that, and James 1:14 and 15 after that. So Proverbs 4:23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Awesome. Proverbs 27:19. I have that one. As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Perfect. And uh, I have the next one, too. Okay. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Thank you. And then Matthew 15, 17 to 19. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. It, keep going. It might be. Don't you see that whatever in, enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Great. 
And then James 1, 14 and 15. Temptation comes from the war of our own evil desires. These evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. Thank you. So what's the common thread in all these verses? Really thinking about what's you're putting into your heart and what's coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this talks a lot about um, speaking or acting out of the abundance of the heart, heart the mouth speaks, but before it comes out of our mouth, it's a thought first. So we're going to look at how um, we have a heart problem. So here's our heart, and it leads to our thoughts, which leads to our speaking and actions. Um, or the other picture what we have the roots of the tree and we draw from our roots which either creates good fruit or bad fruit so we struggle with our wrong thoughts or actions because those thoughts are coming from a sinful or unbelieving heart we want to be on the throne of our own hearts be in control um, this is kind of what Pastor Matt was talking about um, with Eve in the, at the fall. She wanted to rule over her, her husband and be in charge. And we still want that. <laughs> it's really a worship problem. We fear or bound, bow down to the throne of what or who we worship. Um, so this here, the um, what's in our heart comes out. It doesn't create evil, but it, circumstances in our life reveal what's actually going on in our heart. Each one of us was born with a diseased heart or total depravity, and in our flesh, we can't change those desires. Sounds pretty hopeless, huh? <laughs> but there's hope. Does someone have Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27? Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart with, a new, with new and right desires, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony heart of sin and give you a new obedient heart. And I will put my spirit in you so you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. So what does God do here? Mm-hmm. He gives us a new heart with new desires. The Holy Spirit moves us to obey what God's asking us to do. Does this mean we just let go and let God, as the saying goes? Well, sort of from a standpoint of letting go of control, but not. it's not a passive thing. This is very much, it requires sacrifice and dying to self, um, Every single minute. Um, who has Romans 7, 15 to 23? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As 
As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Thank you. That's a mouthful. Did I read that right? Do not or do. So what's going on in this passage? And um, he doesn't want to do it, but it's the it's the sin nature within us, and it's we need God's help to I mean to to stop that and transform our hearts and allow God to work in there. The devil made me do it. Yeah. yeah. Except this doesn't say the devil did. It's pretty much our own selves. <laughs> All he has to do is put like a carrot in oh, front of us, yeah. whatever that carrot yeah. needs to be, and we're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, there's this war going on inside of us. As believers, we have the Spirit of God, which changes our want tos, but in this life, our flesh is never dead. And so we have to constantly fight our flesh to carry out the desire of the Spirit. So if we're never going to be free from the desires of the flesh, is it just a losing battle? No, we don't give up our throw up our hands and give up. Paul gives us hope in Philippians 4.13. Does somebody have that? I have it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Thank you. We've all seen this verse used in a million different contexts, often completely out of context. <laughs> so Let's go back and read the verse before that. What is the context? I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Thank you. So what is the context? What what can he do through Christ? He can be content no matter what the circumstances. Right. And I think a broader interpretation is God gives us the strength to carry out what he asks us to do if we ask him. Um, so going back to the diagram, um, only God can change the desires of our heart and our deepest beliefs about God. But how does he do this? Anybody have any ideas? Ideas? I think the more that we get to know him through his word, Mm-hmm. The more that we're to see him for who he really actually is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It all goes back to the word. Yeah, definitely. That's God's communication tool with us. Um, and if we be- become a Christian and we're not spending time in God's word, we shouldn't be surprised if our hearts aren't changed. God's word is his agent of change in our hearts. 
I spent years telling myself that I couldn't change my thoughts. I tried it and it didn't work, so I gave up. <laughs> Real stick to <laughs> But this is what the devil wants us to believe because if he can keep us defeated in our thought life, we won't have much of an impact on the kingdom. Um, what I wasn't understanding that was my thoughts were coming from my heart, which was believing lies about God. And I finally got desperate enough to really look at what was going on. So let's look at Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. <clears throat> now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greed, to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learn with Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Thank you. And then does someone have Romans 12, too? Yes. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. Thank you. So how do we go about renewing our minds? Putting off the thought process that is coming and going to God's word and uh, putting on the truth of scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that means reading, memorizing, meditating on scripture, and then believing that what God says is true, acting in faith. Um, who has Psalm 1, 1 to 3? And then we'll do Jeremiah 17 after that. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. And that prosper, just side note doesn't mean we'll be rich and comfortable it's that God is going to work good out of our life of surrender to him even through hard things okay Jeremiah 17 is that? this is what the Lord says cursed is the one who trusts in man who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord he will be like a bush in the wastelands he will not see prosperity when it comes he will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he, the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is a de- deceitful above all things and beyond cure who stands and under, who un- can understand it. 
I, the Lord, search the heart, and I examine the mind, to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what he, his deeds deserve. Thank you. So what is the result of finding joy in God's word and meditating on it from Psalms? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yields fruit. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I think of they talk about the root system and root systems can be so long mm-hmm. and so the longer those roots are, the stronger and yeah, more far reaching your strength and belief and for sure. Yeah. And does it does this guy in Psalms look like a somebody that's plagued by anxiety? Not to say, that doesn't mean there are never anxious thoughts, but the overarching, you see the, the stability and the bearing fruit. And um, so those, the anxious thoughts are not overshadowed or they're kept in check by knowledge and confidence in God's care and provision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the contrast in the Jeremiah passage, like the man who trusts in man and the man who trusts in the Lord, like such a total opposite. So as we meditate on scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to live as God's word calls us to live, our hearts become transformed. Um, And as Julie mentioned before, just because a thought comes into our heads doesn't mean we have to entertain it. We don't have to like make a banquet for it. (laughs) Instead of being held hostage by our previous thought patterns, we can actually capture those thoughts and allow the power of Christ's truth to change them. Who has 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5? Uh, The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that would raise itself up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to go back to the beginning of that verse for the weapons of our warfare. Okay, what are our weapons? Who has Ephesians 6, 13 to 18? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. After you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Mm-hmm. And then, in addition to all these things, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Thank you. So, 
back to the question, what are our weapons? Mm-hmm. So we have the belt of truth. How do we know what the belt, uh, what truth is? Yeah, you can hear that a lot. <laughs> um, and then the breastplate of righteousness is we're taking on Christ's righteousness, right? Um, which means when the devil comes at you with his attacks, you're not good enough, you're whatever. No, I have Christ's righteousness. That is who I am now. That's how God sees me. You have shoes ready for action. So are we prepared to act in faith? Then the next one is the shield of faith. That is trusting in who God is at a heart level because that flows out. Our helmet of salvation. I was reading this. um, It's called 40 Day Sugar Fast. And the author was saying the helmet of salvation is um, it's on your head. That's where your thoughts are. And when our thoughts are in line with scripture, in a sense, it's kind of it kind of saves us from acting out of incorrect beliefs. And then we have the sword, which is what? Mm-hmm. And prayer. So the word of God is our biggest offensive weapon. We can't fight without God's word. So we have to read it, memorize it, meditate on it, and believe that it is true. And the shield, which is faith, is what we trust in. This will determine how well we can fight off the devil's attacks, which begins in our mind. Um, Are we trusting we can do better? Or are we trusting God's word is truth that the power of the Holy Spirit can bring victory even over our thoughts? When I was telling myself I can't change my thoughts, that was an argument or opinion against the knowledge of God, which is going back to 2 Corinthians 10. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Um, God's word tells us that we must take our thoughts captive. So I either believe that to be true in faith, or I believe it to be false, which is unbelief. So then how do we take our thoughts captive? So Paul uses the word, take your thought captive. So what is that kind of insinuates? This isn't an easy process. Like when when somebody goes to battle and they're taking a captive, they don't usually just, okay, I'll come along with you. (laughs) There's usually a fight involved. And I think that's what Paul's trying to communicate here. This is not easy. This is not just a do this and then this will happen. I mean, it is that, but it's not easy. Um, That's why Paul instructs us in what weapons we're to use. So let's talk for a minute about the physiological responses to fearful or anxious thoughts. So if I'm crossing the street and a car comes barreling toward me, what am I going to do? jump out of the way, right? That's because our body recognizes, this is all subconscious, our body recognizes there's danger and I have to move. Um, So my brain is kicking into the fight or flight response, which activates the sympathetic nervous system, which then reroutes blood from all your, like your mind, 
like where it normally goes and it's rerouting it to go to your muscles so you can move faster to um, you might have shallow breathing faster heart rate nausea dry mouth cold hands sweaty sweaty palms all these kinds of symptoms because our unconscious brain has told our body that we're in danger Um, which means your brain isn't really working very well Um, it's hard to think logically in a situation like that because you're in active response so how do we stop the physiological response because sometimes there are situations where even in your mind you know this isn't really a logical fear but your body is doing this thing and it's like who's in control here but it's a subconscious thing that part you can't control alone without going back to something to stop the process from happening so patty's going to share something that she learned with horses and the same idea works for people too it just follows up just exactly what you were saying. Well, and just a brief background. I, um, the, the last three years I've been separated and my divorce was final in January. And um, the ins and outs of separation and trying to figure out life has been really, really hard, and especially in a small town. And um, I have a lot of triggers and uh, the things that I had the most trouble with were probably fear of um, my future, fear of uncertainties, um, fear of inferiority, and fear of man. And, and through biblical counseling, I realized that in it, those all in themselves are sins because I'm not trusting God. But because of the physiological responses and um, I, I just couldn't get it under control because it's it was such an unexpected thing. I was married for 37 years, and it just, it was just, I, it was all I kept thinking of, you know, I was tricked, I was duped, I was, and my whole life turned upside down, and so um, one of the things I had to figure out, because I did have panic attacks, and I had to figure out, and, and through biblical counseling, and through being in the Word, how to stop those racing thoughts, and they were so overbearing, it brought me back to um, my childhood, and I've always loved animals, especially dogs and horses. And horses have really fascinated me ever since I was five years old, and I was very fortunate to get one when I was seven. And I was a fearless little creature that didn't even have a saddle on the horse. You know, I would ride, and I would go, and, and I belonged to a pony club. And as I grew older, and uh, I had more horses, and people would want me to train their horses because I would ride anything. And horses um, are inherently, instinct. their instinct is to run. They are born with a fear for their life because that's what they do. They, they don't, they choose not to fight. They choose to run to out, you know, to outrun their, their danger. So um, what I discovered with these people giving me horses, and I would do it for free, and um, they were, they had behavior problems because people didn't gain their trust, and so when I get them, they would they would 
you know, they, their big thing is to run. And so I had to figure out a way not only to stay alive, but to get this horse, you know, back thinking again. And so what I would do is I'd ride the horse and I would do what's called the one rein stop. And so you, I'd pull one rein slowly around, depending how fast the horse was going, um, back toward me. And what that did was take the power and momentum from the horse and its reactive brain, because it was running, it was scared, it was trying to get away. Horses are typically afraid um, of things that move and make noise, which is a lot of things. <laughs> so um, once I got them turned and I took away their power momentum, I, I could stop the reactive side of their brain and engage the thinking side of their brain. And that's exactly what anxiety does to us. It's the reactive side, you know, we, that, Anxiety puts us in survival mode, and that's what the horse was doing. Once I got the horse controlled, and I could keep moving its feet, and it would slow down, slow down that process, and it would calm down, it would start thinking again. And then I could work through it. And people have different personalities, so do horses. So some, you, you have to do it longer and, um, and more often. And that's exactly like what I think I found with um, anxiety is, putting off the old, stopping the reactive part, putting on the new, which is scripture, and um, and and saturating in that. And this this transformer transform into his likeness has been a really good workbook. It has 114 different sins that I didn't even know were sins. Um, a lot of them, some of them are pretty obvious. Um, but though that's what I, I it, it, you know, when I'm thinking of things like my inferiority, and it's not true. It's not what God you know, has put into me, and um, and and those were and those are sins, and and it it breaks God's heart. And not only do I want to get better, I want to be, you know, who who God made me to be. So I think growing up with horses really it, it taught me a lot because they're fear-based anxiety animals, and um, that's. That's kind of what did, you know, it's worked. I still have two horses, and, and they're really good, but they even riding down the trail today, something will scare them, and that still works today. So that kind of one rein stop, pulling the horse around and, and getting his reactive, you know, putting that off and putting on the, the mm -hmm. thinking side, which is what I need to do when I'm reactive, is putting on the thinking scripture side of my brain so it really does help because i envision that so that's kind of what has helped me yeah so our thank you patty our our way of accomplishing that same thing stopping our brain from overreacting from from doing the flight or flight or fight response is to come up with a plan ahead of time if we know that we're going to this thought pattern is very typical for me in a certain situation or just all the time or whatever it is. Plan ahead. Okay, I know this is going to happen again, so what do I do? And having a scripture there, that's why one of the reasons I made these cards, there are more over there if somebody didn't get them, um, to put in your car, put on your mirror, whatever, to remind yourself, um, stopping and praying. Like these are tools. I have these two. I'll hand these out at the end too. Um, a worksheet you can kind of go through. It's kind of like a Bible study to help you work through, okay, this is the thought that isn't in line with Scripture, and then finding, you find verses that counteract that thought. Why is this sinful? And then rewriting the thought and posting that somewhere around your house and 
memorizing that so that when that wrong thought comes into your mind, you can say, no, that's from the devil, and this is what I need to think instead. Um, that's what this book does too. Yes, I have that as well. Yes. So if you want one of these, we have them downstairs at the resource center. You can pick one up there. There's only one down there, but. Yeah, it has for every one of those like fear of inferiority or uncertain future. They they have scriptures that you can go to. Yeah. So it's. Yeah, it's a really good tool. And that, I think, is such a helpful tool because it's like, okay, where do I go in my brain to, you know, to type this? Satan is attacking, and then they mm-hmm. have the scriptures. Yeah, yeah, it does the work for you. You don't have to go and search them. So our unconscious physiological responses come out of our thought patterns. So we won't develop new responses until we develop new thoughts. This is where it's important to identify what the triggers are for anxious thoughts so we can develop a plan to battle them next time. Paul makes it sound so simple. Just take your thoughts captive. <laughs> but in practice... It's so simple in that Romans 7, like with all the do's and do nots. It's like, that doesn't sound so simple. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, but we need God's help in becoming aware. of. Sometimes we don't even realize we're down a thought track for a while, and unless we ask for the Lord's help to intervene and, and bring it to our attention. Um, so we're going to end on the last verse in Philippians 4, 6 to 9, the classic anxiety verse. Who has that one? Okay. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, <clears throat> whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good report, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Thank you. So what does Paul say our first response to anxious thoughts should be? Prayer. Prayer. Yep. I know often that's not my first response. (laughs) Um, But when we do this... Thankfulness, too, because... Sin becomes so self-centered. Yes. And so if we start thinking of, you know, how thankful we are for how blessed we are for what God has provided for us and and will continue to do and not ever leave or forsake us and show gratitude, it, it does help take your mind off your... Because I don't like it when I think of all this. I, I keep focusing on myself and my future and what isn't good about me and all that. And so, I don't want to focus on myself. How the devil makes you do it? <laughs> Our heart desires make us do it. <laughs> oh yeah, he, he no problem. He, like you said, he just dangles the carrot. <laughs> but then in verse nine, Paul says um, he tells us specifically what we're to think about. It's difficult to stop doing something. And just like just stop it entirely, but when you replace it, that's God's pattern um, for helping us through this. Um, 
Paul doesn't just tell us to stop being anxious, but he gives us tools with how to replace those. Um, and what does verse 8 say we should think about? And when we think on these things, what does verse 9, 7 and 9 tell us God's going to give us? Oh my God, the peace will be with you. It's yeah. kind of like what she was saying about bringing that rain around so the horse's head kind of like slows down. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I noticed that there are people who are very logical and they tend to kind of feed off of your your response of not being logical, and it, it's kind of a game. <laughs> a lot of times, and when you stop them, it's kind of like Jesus when he was in the desert, when he throws out scripture, and Satan is like, yeah. stop, so I'm just, it puts them yeah. in because they, well, can you go that way? Okay, and they'll try another way. It's yeah. just kind of like, you're not going to play your game. Yeah. And yourself, yeah. too. Yeah. You play that game with yourself. For sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. So when we recognize we have an anxious thought, we identify it, recognizing it's not in line with Scripture. We ask for God's help to capture it and help us think correct thoughts by replacing it with God's truth from his word as it relates to that thought. So, for example, if I have a thought, I don't think she likes me, whoever she is. (laughs) So Paul gives us this grid to run it through. Is it true? Well, we actually don't know unless we ask her. So, right there, we're done. <laughs> okay, so let's say... <laughs> so, even if it's true, it could be. Um, even if it's true, whose appeal are we living for? If we're walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit in our life, we don't need to worry about if somebody does or doesn't like us. If we perceive someone doesn't like us and the Holy Spirit uses that to bring an area of sin to our attention, we should heed that, not to get that person to like us, but to obey the Lord. And maybe you know that she doesn't like you. Then what? Because that happens. Romans 12:18 says that we're to make every effort to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on us. So it would be appropriate to inquire and see if there's some way that you've offended her, and if so, to apologize. But that's it. And then you can let that thought go. Um, so I have these handouts. I'm, I'm going to leave you with these. You can take them home and work through that if you want. If it's helpful, or throw it away. I don't care. Um, maybe you've done all these things and you're like, anxiety is this continual thing that just plagues me and plagues me and plagues me and it won't, I feel like I never have victory over it. It's okay, take heart. Because Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 2, 7-9 about something along these lines. It says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan, to harass me, 
to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul doesn't tell us what his thorn was. And I think that's intentional because we get, tend to get distracted in those details. Um, Paul's point was that there was something annoying in his life that God had refused to remove, def, remove despite repeated requests. What, did God, what does God say to him in there? Yeah. And his power is made perfect in our weakness. Um, Paul's thorn was a constant reminder that he needed to rely on Christ so that he didn't become arrogant or conceited. <clears throat> so I'm just going to leave you with this. Could the Lord be using anxiety in your life and mine to remind us that we need to rely on his strength? And five applications to leave you going home. One, are you in the word? The word is our sword to fight anxiety. Identify your areas of weakness where anxious thoughts surface. Three, develop a plan for how to capture those thoughts and replace them with God's truth. Four, write out a verse or a new thought informed by God's word on a card in a prominent place to remind you to think rightly. And five, saturate yourself with that new thought, that new truth. Maybe it's not new truth, but... (laughs) So those are... Some things you can practice at home, and I have these. Another thought I have is um, it's great to have, because we are a flesh. We do call the temptation. Have somebody to help keep us accountable. That's mm-hmm. very trustworthy. I think of the and they use that because together, when you put a shield somewhere you have, it's completely covered. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not, you can have all sides protected. You have to have somebody that you can balance your thoughts. For sure. Yeah, and wise counsel, because you can yeah, you can have people that... It's mm-hmm. not a gossip session. No. A, okay, get me back. Yes. This is where I'm being pulled. Yep. Pull me back. Yeah, and Julia's going to talk about that at the end of our, at the end of this study. I think that's the last lesson. So yeah, that's a big piece of it too, for sure. (laughs) You want to you want to teach it? (laughs) No, this is not my gifting. I'm just obeying. (laughs) Will someone close us in prayer? Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you for sharing with us teaching today. Um, the good reminder that um, just because we have a thought doesn't mean we have to rely it, and that we can replace those thoughts with your truth. And I pray that you will help each of us to remember um, these things as we go throughout the week and apply them to our lives. And help us as we um, hear uh, Pastor Matt's sermon. I pray that it will um, 
be with them as we give to that survey and uh, help us to learn from that as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.